They don't like it when we're marching down the street We're only fighting for our rights How they like to judge the things we say and do From the safety of their ivory heights See, we talk too loud, making trouble all the time We're only fighting for what is right What is right How they'd like us to sit so quietly in the corner While they tell us all our wrongs from our rights We say, we say so tired all the time But he laughed at life as he picked up his flag and he said Gonna fight for the world just one more time Choices come your way when you're marching down the street Come to the crossroads of your life and Follow your heart and follow your feet Sometimes you gotta stand, sometimes you gotta fight. Yeah. Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links.
Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 21st of July, you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And that uh, song that you just heard, that we were just... uh just laid back here and just listening to it. It was thinking, should we interrupt and start the promise? And no, it sounds like a good <laughs> song. It Can't was, be wrong uh, if you're right by Richard Franklin. Uh, Cry Freedom. Cry Freedom. Charcoal Club. Ah, oh, uh, I was just going by the noise that I heard. Uh, see, Richard Franklin's one of my favourite artists. these grasshoppers. <laughs> oh, here we go. Jump into it, get it wrong. But anyway. Uh, Pierre, not, when are you going go. on your next holiday, Pierre? That's all <laughs> I can say. <laughs> anyway, it's Asia Pacific Currents brought to you every week by... Australia Asia Worker Links. That's right. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on social media as well. So find us on Facebook and Twitter. We regularly post news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region, specifically from the labour movement. Um, so locate us on those uh, social media platforms. And what have we got on today apart from the usual news roundup? Well, actually, Pierre, I understand you are a delegate at the ACTU Congress. Is that right? Uh, I think the rumours were correct. Your uh-huh. spies uh, gave good My spies, back. alternatively known as your posts to <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and also your regular reporting to me on your daily activities. Yes, my that's, spies that's, are that's, definitely that's out there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but actually, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what happened there for... Um, I mean, the ACTU, which is the peak union um, federation here in Australia. So it would be like reporting on the KCTU's National Congress, for instance. Of course, many uh, regular listeners to the show and many of you who are regularly engaged in the labour movement in Australia will know that the ACTU historically has sat on the right of the labour movement and where, I mean, as we're seeing a broad, broad shift rightwards across the world, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about where the ACTU currently sits and some of these uh, really alarming developments um, across the world in terms of right-wing trajectories and how much work there is for us to do. All right, no worries. Um, Just in case you didn't know, Pierre, that's what I'll be interviewing you about. <laughs> All right, I better make some, better make my some notes. Um, but let's go to the, get those uh, labor right. news. That's been lots been happening, and uh, really just a, a quick an overview, really, of many stories that it's happening. Go yeah. for it, yourself. So um, six workers, unfortunately, at a factory in Andhra Pradesh in India, uh, were killed uh, last week when a poisonous gas leaked at a steel factory. It was owned by actually a Brazilian company. Um, Five other workers suffered very serious health complications and were admitted to a local hospital. Two of them are said to be in a critical condition. So apparently the plant closed immediately and the emergency squad was called to service this leak. Um, But of course, uh, these issues aren't being dealt with as they should, which is murder. The company, in a statement, said that they uh, sadly informed that the accident occurred at the steel plant, um, resulting in six casualties. They're also saying that um, they immediately provided medical assistance to the workers that were sent to the local hospital. Of course, these are occupational health and safety issues that will only ever be dealt with when workers take collective action because we know that the bosses don't have the same level of interest in our uh, right to return home after a day's work. 
it's just cost cost to their profits in you know, our lives uh we we go here in uh, melbourne and another tragic story about refugees here in australia where um a sri lankan uh, refugee a tamil asylum seeker thilipan um, guanavaswaran was forcibly deported last week now he's actually here with his family uh he's left behind a a wife kathika anyaswaran and her uh, their 10 month old daughter now he um thilipan was forcibly deported via a charter flight that the australian government um very generously um, hired for a number of these uh, another 18 Sri Lankan nationals. Now it seems that um, uh, Thilipan was actually deported um, against uh, uh, the wishes and the order of the United Nations that actually uh, told Australia to follow uphold international law, which unfortunately the Australian government doesn't care anymore. Um, and um, the chances of, of him ever coming back to Australia under current laws are zilch because under the, um, the laws that um, um, Kathika, the, the wife, remains in Australia, she has no family reunion rights. Um, also, Thilipan, on, when he arrived back in Sri Lanka, was arrested by the Sri Lankan government. And even though he's, uh, he was released after one night in jail, he's now facing um, undisclosed charges. So again, it's... Um, and just to say that Thilipan actually lived here for six years. So just another um, terrible case, which, uh, which cruelty cannot really be overstated. Well, I think it's interesting that you talked about um, the the situation at international law because that entire framework is the post-World War II framework, which we also know in terms of imperialist alignment is completely falling apart. So it's not... It's not an accident. It's not surprising. It's probably even unremarkable that um, no nations right now are respecting or adhering to international law. It's the it'll be the first piece that goes in the realignment. Well, that, that's right. I, I knew when I was say I, I saw your eyes and I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, she's going to criticise me. But totally correct, Giselle. And and really, international law in the very first place, basically, who's enforcing it? There's no enforcement. So it's always been more of a of a of a please advice. Please follow if you if you'd like. But if you don't, don't worry about it. Well, in terms of um, legal victories, which I'm always sceptical of, as you know, Pierre, um, actually, a court in Thailand on Wednesday last week dismissed criminal defamation charges that were brought against 14 migrant workers by their former employer, a poultry farm, um, that they had accused of labour and human rights violations. Um, So let's just get this really clear for people. These migrant workers raised an industrial dispute with their boss about labour and human rights violations and then their boss sued them for defamation and a court dismissed that which is a surprising um, outcome in Thailand but a very very good one. So the case was filed by Tamakaset, that's the name of the farm. Um, They claim that the company had suffered losses due to the allegations made by the workers in a 2016 complaint filed with Thailand's National Human Rights Commission. The company said that the allegations against it caused Thai agribusiness giant um, Betagro to uh, to drop in the number of supplies that they had. 
The workers' original complaint, according to the Migrant Workers' Rights Network in Thailand, uh, which has been giving them assistance, um, uh, so their complaint said that they'd been forced to work up to 20 hours per day without a day off during 40 or more days. Um, so they worked 40 days straight for 20 hours or more. It also charged that they had been paid less than the minimum wage, were provided with no overtime compensation and had their freedom of movement restricted and their identity documents confiscated. So um, congratulations to those workers standing up against the um, Thai business but also the Thai criminal justice system is a really, really, really big deal. Especially in a military dictatorship. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, but uh, one of those rare victories that we're pleased to report on. Yes, and I hope the, uh, the health and safety has improved now at the workplace. But yes, a, a good news stories. Um, now we go to Turkey. Unfortunately, bad news stories. Well... The emergency decree in Turkey has actually been lifted, um, although the government has, um, under the new presidential system, has actually managed to keep some of those powers into the new legislation. But the last act of the emergency decree that came in after the uh, failed coup of July 2016 was to sack another 18,000 people. Now, um, uh, some of these 18,000 people included over 1,000 civil servants, 200 academics, um, 12 association like civil organization, community organizations were shut down, one television channel and at least three newspapers. And this is on top of many, many others that have um, been uh, shut down over the, the, the last two years. So um, uh, certainly a hard struggle in Turkey. Uh, listener, just let me organise the show with Pierre for just a moment. Pierre, I'm going to run my two next stories together, FYI, so you're going to have the last story for the news roundup. <laughs> well, if, given that you're, you're going to give me the, 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 the last word, I, I, I can handle You're that not now. going to get the last word, my friend. There is a lot more to the show after the news. Um, the, next two to, uh, the next two stories are about Palestine, so two very significant developments there. One is um, we're just going to report on the... Uh, continuation of the Friday protests that commenced on the 30th of March um, and went supposedly were, were to go through to May 15, which is so it ran from Land Day on the 30th of March to Al Nakba on the 15th of May. And that whole sequence was called the Great March of Return. So for nearly four months, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have been protesting along the fence with Israel, demanding their right to return to the homes and land their families were expelled from 70 years ago. The Great March of Return rallies culminated on the 15th of May to mark what Palestinians refer to as a Nakba or the Great Catastrophe. It's a reference to the forced removal of about three-quarters of a million Palestinians from their homes um, and villages to clear the way for Israelis' establishment in 1948. The mass Friday demonstrations have continued. So there were demonstrations last night um, and, of course, the report this morning is that Israel has commenced um, air attacks um, uh, uh, on, on Gaza. So since the protest began on the 30th of March, Israeli forces have killed at least 140 Palestinians in the besieged coastal enclave and wounded more than 16,000 people, according to health officials in Gaza. I want you to get a sense of what that 16,000 means, because if you're injured 
in war. That's okay, certainly you're not dead, but the quality of life, your lack of medical um, attention and imminent death are all what that 16,000 entails. So last night, Israeli forces shot dead a Palestinian during the protests in the Gaza Strip near the fence with Israel, raising the number of Palestinians killed on that Friday to four. Um, Israeli soldiers fired live bullets and tear gas canisters towards the protesters along the fence um, uh, and, as I said, started um, airstrikes against Gaza. So obviously that struggle still continues. But, of course, many, many, many of you will have known that um, recent legislation passed in Israel. Um, I mean, we know that Israel is an apartheid state, but this Jewish nation state legislation, um, I mean, people are saying it enshrines apartheid uh, into law. Well, it definitely does that, but it, it is a massive escalation on the international scale in relation to the apartheid state. This happened on Thursday. The Israeli government formally passed a Jewish nation state law um, with the Knesset summer recess on the horizon, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu managed to pass a law ahead of the break. So what does it do? It basically says that um, Jew- Jewish people, Israelis, um, are the only people that have um, a right of sovereignty to Israel and it establishes Israel, Israel as the Jewish holy land. Um, it takes away Arabic from the national language and relegates it to one of many languages spoken in the country. So it actually denudes Palestinian people of culture and language and land. Apartheid. Yes, I think that's um, going to have far-reaching effects, um, and we'll certainly see um, more um, more protests on that. We now go to our last item, where we go to nearby to Iraq, where for two weeks there's been nationwide protests. Uh, there've been um, a large protest in uh, cities all throughout Iraq, from Nasiriyah, Basra, Najaf, uh, Amara, Karbala, as well as Baghdad. Now there's been the the protests have now um, there's been three uh, demonstrators uh, killed over these two weeks hundreds have been wounded and uh, the protesters uh, it's really a working class um, uh, uprising that's happening there it's all about corruption and the fact that social services uh, have not been provided in terms of water electricity education and health. To, to people, the, um, the as people would know, there have been elections there recently, but there's still no new new government, and the the situation is dire for a lot of working class people, and where the the government is uh, continually mired in corruption, money is stolen, and um, and people, especially in the summer months, um, where the temperatures in parts of Iraq go up to 50 degrees staying in your house without any electricity i know air conditioning and no water can actually be a bit tough um that's an understatement but that's all uh that we have for today um giselle will go to a community announcement and then um, we'll come back with you grilling me about the actu conference we know you love our 3cr radical radio t-shirts and so do we They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419 8377. 
or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Twenty minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio Three CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents with Giselle and Pierre. I am Pierre. For those of you who don't know, he's other 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 than broadcasting here at Three CR. He's also um, on the branch committee of the Australian Services Union Victas. Um, Authorities and Services. Authorities yeah. and Services Division Victas. Um, and was a delegate at the ACTU Congress, um, which had just happened last week on the 17th and 18th of July. Um, I mean, the, my first question is, overall, what were your thoughts about the politics, the direction, um, and, and you know, what people were there for? I think that's a very good question, Giselle, but it's also a very hard question to answer because I think people are there for all kinds of, of reason. Look... I'll just give my impression first of all. I think you go to these conferences and you really see how long and how deep the tradition of working class solidarity and, and union belonging is for lots and lots of people. The The politics of it, I mean, people there went to really um, tell what was happening in their in the um, uh, in in the industry, obviously to me, and it was obviously to um, get together and to say the work uh, the change the rules campaign is the campaign that we um, that we have to all um, go together. And interestingly, there was a number of uh, of uh, references to unity, to how it's important that we have to be united. Obviously, there are also stage managed affairs. And that there's very little room for discussion uh, or real real analysis. That often um, is in other meetings outside. And whether you can get in those meetings or not, it's it's another matter. Um, certainly, as a um, as put it this way, as a delegate, and this is not just my um, opinion, because I talked to a few other people and just tested to see it. You sort of end up after two days, you hear about all these struggles and campaigns and how hard everyone works, and you think, that's fantastic. And then you sort of come out, how come we're in such a bad state if everyone is doing so much work and obviously there's been all these victories? Oh, yeah, there's still a bit of, of work to be done, but we sort of do it and whatever. And you sort of get the feeling, go, I wish there was a little bit more analysis to see why things are working and why are not. So, and again, I think that was sort of left a bit by people thinking, I wish we knew a bit more about just giving someone, giving a five-minute presentation saying, this is great. You sort of go, well, if everything's going so well, why are we in such a state? Um a lot of people talk about the Change the Rules campaign as cover for an ALP election campaign. I mean, that might in itself be the answer to your question, if we're doing so well, why are we in such a state? Because actually it's um, industrial union um, masquerading as, or it's ALP masquerading as union and industrial activity. So actually it's an electoral campaign with no 
roots, no deep, deep, deep roots, but kind of using the union movement as foot soldiers? Uh, look, yes and no. In the fact that everything that was actually like um, unionists that came out and said, this is our campaign, were all industrial campaigns. But certainly it was very pro-ALP. And I have to say, interestingly, interestingly, and I don't know why, all of the conference was open to the media, apart from the workshops, but the dinner um, where um, Bill Shorten actually spoke was actually closed to the media. I'm not too sure why. Um, there, but there is, there is an understanding and there is um, an undercurrent where people understand, um, are sceptical, uh, are afraid, uh, don't trust this whole vote ALP. And it was quite obvious that um, uh, the CFMEU actually put out a very public uh, leaflet saying, hey, we've been here before. Um, at the last time when there was the Rudd-Gillard um, uh, ALP government, they never got rid of the ABCC. And there were still laws against us, and we don't want to be be there. So, I think there's going to be a lot of um, what's the right word push, and a lot of when and if the Labour Party gets in next. I think it'll be there's a lot of expectations. Uh, what happens if those expectations are not uh, met? I think there'll be a lot of people that will say, "I told you so." But what do we do with I told you so's? I mean, we're still in exactly the same campaign. We've still, um, uh, 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 what's the word, um, <clears throat> spent up all of our union energy not fighting and campaigning instead. I mean, the tired slogan of the Labor movement, if you don't fight, you lose, is actually real. And if we don't fight, we actually will lose. And once we've lost, then what? Uh, I think that's a very good uh, point that you make, but I have to say, as the ACTU Congress is structured as it is now, that is not the forum to have those discussions because there's very little space. There was some space in the workshops, there were a lot of workshops on, on lots of uh, issues, but then how... Um, what came out of those discussions when fed back into the main plenary was um, not really there. There wasn't that. So I think that's part of the problem of our movement, and I don't think this would be a, a radical thing to say. There, there is not enough space to have those discussions. Everything now is so... People are so afraid of being seen, being disunited or whatever, that everything is kept under, under wraps. And I think that's I think that's the initial fight to do to actually open up um, the the space to have those discussions. So we've got three minutes left, yeah. and I'm not going to give you enough time, unfortunately, to answer these. I apologise. Two very important yeah. things: international solidarity. Was it a feature at all? Was there any understanding at all that the only way to win is to unite internationally? That actually the enemy is capital, capitalism, and the bosses who are the agents of capitalism. Secondly, I did see a very small protest about Palestine. Why was it so small? 
I kind of already know the answer to this, given where some of the unions, particularly the SDA, sit on that question. Um, But what was it like trying to build and and get support for that rally or or action? all right, I'll, I'll start with, with the Palestine rally and then international solidarity. The Palestine rally, it's seen, was called, I'm not too sure by who it was called, because Wayne Swan um, appeared um, for one session. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was a, it was a protest that lasted five minutes. Um, and I actually went up and I said, oh, is this on the agenda? Are you going to move any motion? And they said, no, we're just here to show that Wayne Swan that we we want a pro-Palestine position. So I actually don't know what the ACTU position on Palestine is. So that was that was it. So that was the the um and there wasn't actually a leaflet handed out. It was just that photo of like 50 people or whatever. In terms of international solidarity um, no, it was very nationally focused. I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that um to be to be nice. Um and I think, again, part of the problem of not having enough space for discussion is you don't have an underst- a, a space to discuss fully how things, the, the, the underpinnings of why it happened. So most of the, of the debate was how some bosses and some companies are bad. But in terms of, of seeing this as part of, of a global processes over decades and blah, you know, all that stuff. No. Well, Pierre, that's the end of that interview. <laughs> that is uh, the State of the Union address as a, according to Pierre. Look, thanks for sharing those insights. I know that would have been really difficult and I put you on the spot a lot. Um, and, you know, it's a fine line between being supportively critical of our movement and just outright criticising them. I think you walked that line very, very well, Pierre. Um, That is all we've got time for on Asia Pacific Currents today. We will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. Specifically, we've got our interview with the activist from Kanaki. That's correct. So it's all um, from me, Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hanna. And keeps uh, listening to 3CR and Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.